like to welcome everyone to this next session, a multiplinary discussion on fertility, testosterone deficiency, and sexual function in testis cancer patients. My name is Dr. Mohit Kara, and I'll be the moderator for the session, and I'll be presenting the case. This will be followed by Dr. Andrew Stevenson discussing testis cancer, fertility, and gonadal considerations, followed by Dr. Robert Brannigan discussing fertility implications, and finally by Dr. John Mulhall discussing testosterone deficiency and sexual function. So let's get started. MJ is a 29-year-old man who presents with a two-month history of a right testicular mass. He denies testis pain or any recent trauma. He is recently engaged and desires to have children in the future. He has a past medical history for a left undescended testicle at birth. He's had a left orchiopexy. And on physical exam, he has a right testicle, which is 20 cc's, with a 5-centimeter right upper pull solid testicular mass, which is later confirmed on scrotal ultrasound. His left testicle is atrophic at 12 cc's and soft. Laboratory values demonstrate an elevated alpha-fetal protein and beta-HCG at 112 and 92, respectively. He also has an elevated LH and FSH at 16 and 13, respectively. He was also found to have a decreased testosterone value of 267 nanogram per deciliter. Note that MJ attempted to bank sperm prior to orchiectomy and was found to be azospermic. MJ underwent a rad, right radical orchiectomy. He was found to have a mixed germ cell tumor confined to the testis with positive lymphovascular invasion. Histology demonstrated embryonal cancer with teratoma. Note that his alpha fetal protein and HCG normalized after the orchiectomy. On CT scan, he was found to have a two centimeter intra aorta cable lymph node. So in summary, MJ is a 29-year-old man with a right clinical stage two non-seminomatous germ cell tumor, atrophic contralateral testis, azospermic on semen analysis. He desires future paternity, a two centimeter intra aorta cable lymph node, and normal post-orchiectomy alpha fetal protein and beta HCG. I'd like to introduce our first speaker, Dr. Andrew Stevenson, Director of Urologic Oncology, Professor of Surgery at Rush University, and he'll be discussing fertility and gonadal function considerations in patients with germ cell testicular cancer. Dr. Stevenson. Hi, I'm Dr. Andrew Stevenson. I'm Director of Urologic Oncology at Rush University Medical Center in Chicago. I'm also Chair of the AUA's Testicular Guidelines Committee. We presented the guidelines to the AU at last year's uh, annual meeting, and I'll be spending the next few minutes discussing the guidelines as it relates to fertility and gonadal function considerations in patients with germ cell testicular cancer. For patients with low stage disease, such as this patient, curates approach 100% with either surveillance, surgery, or chemotherapy when appropriately integrated and hence, the guidelines attempt to provide guidance for, for clinicians on the management of these patients. And we should endeavor in the treatment of these patients to limit the burden of therapy and treatment-related toxicity without compromising survival. In patients undergoing RPLND, we know that long-term complications such as ejaculatory dysfunction, lymphatic complications, and small bowel obstruction can occur. And in patients receiving chemotherapy can have issues related to fertility, hypogonadism, neurotoxicity, nephrotoxicity, secondary malignancies, and cardiovascular disease. As it relates to fertility and gonadal function, 
the guidelines recommend that prior to definitive management, patients should be counseled about the risks of hypogonadism and infertility, and patients should be offered sperm banking when appropriate. And in patients such as this, who have a normal, uh, without a normal contralateral testis or with known subfertility, sperm banking should be done prior to orchiectomy. Patients who have germ cell tumor have inherent uh, germinal epithelial dysfunction, which, which leads to the onset of germ cell tumors, but also commonly is associated with infertility. In patients with germ cell tumors, up to 50% will have abnormal semen parameters, and 10% of patients will be azoospermic at diagnosis, such as this patient. The germinal epithelium is exquisitely sensitive to chemotherapy, and after treatment, almost all patients will be rendered azoospermic, and recovery of spermatogenic function will occur in 50% of patients at two years and 80% of patients at five years. As it relates to RPLND, fertility issues related to ejaculatory dysfunction can occur in five to 15% of patients who undergo nerve-sparing RPLND and up to 50% of patients who undergo a modified template dissection without nerve-sparing. As it relates to hypogonadism, uh, patients who undergo orchiectomy alone have a two times increased risk of hypogonadism relative to age match controls, and chemotherapy may increase these, this risk by up to five to eight times the risk. The committee has also commented on survivorship issues as it relates to hypogonadism, and that patients with germ cell tumors should be monitor, monitored over the long term for signs and symptoms of hypogonadism, and if present, Morning serum testosterone levels should be measured as well as LH uh, levels. And if present, testicular replacement therapy uh, should be considered. Uh, as mentioned, 10% of patients will be hypogonadal after orchiectomy alone, and up to a third of patients will be hypogonadal after receiving chemotherapy. The guidelines committee also spoke to issues related to testis sparing surgery. Uh, and in patients uh, who have a sus lesion suspicious for a malignant neoplasm and a normal contralateral testis should undergo a radical ingle orchiectomy and testis sparing surgery is not recommended. In this patient who has an atrophic contralateral testis, testis sparing surgery may be considered in those patients wishing to preserve gonadal function provided that those masses are less than two centimeters in size. And this should only be considered in patients who either have a congenital, acquired, or functionary solitary testis, or in patients with bilateral synchronous testicular tumors. In these patients who are found to have germ cell tumor after testis sparing surgery, almost all these patients will have evidence of germ cell neoplasia in situ, which is associated with a universal risk of developing an invasive germ cell tumor within five to 10 years. And in those patients with GCNIS, Clinicians may offer surveillance, radiation, or orchiectomy, depending on the short and long-term treatment goals of those patients. For example, a subfertile patient may be observed closely until they have successfully conceived before receiving treatment for the GCIS. After low-dose radiation, it's important to understand that up to 80% of patients may still require testosterone replacement therapy uh, we have limited data currently about the preservation of fertility in those patients undergoing testis sparing surgery alone. In terms of the management of this patient, he has clinical stage 2A non-seminoma. 
with a solitary uh, uh, metastasis in the primary landing zone and normal serum tumor markers after orchiectomy. And for these patients, they may be considered for either retroperitoneal lymph node dissection or chemotherapy. Certainly those patients who have elevated markers should be treated with, with induction chemotherapy. In patients with clinical stage 2B disease, we tend to favor chemotherapy as the initial treatment strategy. RPLND may be considered in select patients. And so for this patient who has normal serum tumor markers, uh, sub-fertile uh, semen parameters with a desire to conceive after treatment, um, certainly consideration for RPLND with nurse bearing uh, would be reasonable. The committee has also commented on RPLND and in patients such as this with positive lymph nodes, a full bilateral template dissection should be performed. A modified template may be considered in patients who have negative lymph nodes. And nerve sparing should be offered when appropriate in select patients who desire preservation of fertility and ejaculatory function. Importantly, RPLND should be performed only by those experienced with this operation at a high volume uh, center. As it relates to nerve sparing techniques, um, this is the most effective way of preserving ejaculatory function. Uh, nerve sparing uh, during a full bilateral dissection with preservation of the hypogastric plexus and the postganglionic fibers of T12 to L3, ejaculatory function rates are reported in up to 95% of patients. A full bilateral dissection without nerve sparing, less than 20% of patients will have normal ejaculatory function and as mentioned with modified templates, the rates of ejaculatory function range from 50 to 85%. Lastly, just as an example of a nerve sparing RPLND with preservation of the postganglionic sympathetic fibers and the hypogastric plexus. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Stevenson. Next, I'd like to introduce our next speaker, Dr. Robert Brannigan, professor of urology, vice chairman of clinical urology at Northwestern University, and he'll be discussing testis cancer and fertility implications. Well, I want to thank Dr. Kieran, the AUA, for the opportunity to participate in this session today. And uh, when patients hear the phrase, you have cancer, including testicular cancer, very often they feel that life as they know it is coming to an end, and all the dreams that they had hoped to achieve in that life have come to an end. But we know for patients with testicular cancer that they actually do quite well in terms of their long-term survival, even 73% of men with distant metastasis have five-year survival. And we know from the survivorship data that these patients want to go on and lead full productive lives like any of us would want to. And part of that includes having children, the option to become a biological parent. And so even before one gray of radiation has been administered or one drop of chemotherapy has been administered, cancer itself as a disease process can have adverse effects on reproductive health. So this is important to know when we're thinking about fertility preservation. Cancer can result in disruption of the HPG axis, including testicular cancer. Immune and cytological responses to cancer can lead to injury to the germ cells, the germinal epithelium. And then systemic processes that we often see with cancer can also adversely affect sperm production. And so this has been borne out by data from a number of groups, including this series from the multi-institutional group from the Secos Network in France, showing that patients with testicular cancer compared to controls had lower sperm concentration, lower sperm motility, and lower total modal sperm counts compared to controls. And this is true for both patients with seminomenous and non-seminomenous germ cell tumors. So let's talk now about the cancer treatments that we provide patients with testicular cancer. 
This includes radiation, chemotherapy, and then obviously oncologic surgery. All these can adversely affect fertility. And I really want to stress right now at this point, an important concept. The patient should be advised to use contraception for one to two years after the completion of chemotherapy or radiation treatment because these therapies can result in lingering DNA damage to the sperm. So uh, contraception is an important concept for one to two years after the completion of chemo and radiation treatment. When it comes to testicular radiation exposure, very low doses can cause permanent azoospermia. So sperm banking before testicular radiation is extremely important. When we look at testicular cancer and chemotherapy rendered, we know that the rule is typically multi-agent chemotherapy. And while some of these agents are high risk, some are medium risk in terms of damaging fertility, and some are low risk, at the end of the day, it's very hard to know what effect a specific regimen is going to have on a specific patient. So it's important on the front end, before chemotherapy has been administered, to cryopreserve sperm on these patients. And also, it goes without saying that surgical therapies that we render can also adversely affect fertility. By doing an orchiectomy, we're removing testicular tissue and the sperm production potential from that tissue. And as Dr. Stevenson pointed out, when we do our PLND, we can disrupt normal ejaculatory function in some patients. So let's look now at an interesting slide. This shows conception rates without the use of cryopreserved sperm. So obviously a patient who's undergoing orchiectomy and subsequently has surveillance is going to do the best in terms of the percentage of patients achieving fatherhood without cryopreserved sperm. They also achieve fatherhood in shorter periods of time. And if we look down the list there, we find that patients receiving chemotherapy do the worst with patients receiving high-dose cisplatin chemotherapy, achieving fatherhood to a much lower rate, only about 48% of those patients will achieve a pregnancy within 15 years of follow-up. So this is why fertility preservation is so important in these patients. And so it's an important concept that we stress and we really try to routinely provide to our, our patients. So the ASCO recommendations were published by the American Society of Clinical Oncology back in 2006 and updated in 2013. And this called for the discussion of the risk of fertility impairment at the earliest possible time after a cancer diagnosis is made with the patient. Also a call for the prompt referral of the patient to a qualified fertility preservation specialist if the patient is interested. It's important for all of us as providers to realize one very important point, and that is that very low numbers of sperm are needed or required to successfully preserve the fertility in a patient. And the reason for that is, is all we need when we're using IVF ICSI for conception, all we need is one sperm per egg. So therefore the requirements are very low. So even if the numbers are very low, we should freeze that sperm and have it available for future fertility procedures. Now the good news is that most of our patients are gonna be able to provide sperm by masturbation. Um, even a patient who's an inpatient can typically do this from the comfort of their hospital room. For patients with retrograde ejaculation or anejaculation, we have techniques to get sperm from those patients for freezing. And even for men with azoospermia, those men who have no sperm in the ejaculate, we can pursue oncotessy in them. This was first described in 2003 by Schrader and colleagues. He looked at 31 azoospermic patients with testicular cancer and lymphoma, and he successfully retrieved sperm in 14 out of 31. And he advocated for oncotessy in these azoospermic patients prior to cancer treatments being administered. The first uh, case report of a live birth with oncotessy sperm was reported from Brazil. This is a young man undergoing bilateral orchiectomy for synchronous tumors. Sperm was retrieved at the time of orchiectomy, frozen, and then subsequently used to achieve a pregnancy. Uh, that sperm was used through IVF with a live birth at 39 weeks. 
uh, our group partnered with Toby Kohler when he was uh, at SIU and looked at predictors of spermatogenesis in orchiectomy specimens. And what we found this was this, that while a small tumor size proved to be a positive prognostic indicator for the presence of spermatogenesis, a larger tumor size, even tumors as large as eight centimeters, did not preclude the presence of spermatogenesis. So even patients of large testicular tumors should be considered candidates for oncotessi. This is the setup for oncotessi. The specimen is handed to a backbench table where we have an operating microscope. The testicular sample is then bivalved, and we see testicular tumor on your left there and normal-looking testicular tissue on the right. The tissue is removed, and a wet prep slide is made, and that sample is inspected right there in the OR, and we see that sperm is present. So that sperm is then frozen and cryopreserved and can be used anytime down the road for IVF. You might wonder about outcomes with sperm from cancer patients, from patients with a history of cancer. And what we know is this, is that sperm from patients with a history of cancer performs equally as well in terms of fertilization, pregnancy, live birth rates, and miscarriage rates when compared to patients who are healthy controls who don't have cancer. And so um, this is work that we did in our group uh, focus study, I should say a focus uh, group study involving adult survivors of pediatric cancer. And what we found was a major theme of these patients was regret, regret that no one uh, had looked out for fertility preservation in many of these individuals. Many of these men were left with permanent infertility as a result of the lack of fertility preservation care. So it's important to the patients, and again, this is an important survivorship issue. So in conclusion, cancer and cancer therapies can disrupt sperm production and fertility in patients with testicular cancer. Fertility preservation measures should be offered to patients at the time of cancer diagnosis. Oncotessie is an option for patients with azoospermia and others who are unable to provide an ejaculated semen sample for cryopreservation. And reproductive outcomes are similar for sperm from patients with cancer versus sperm from unaffected men. So we should all be carefully considering this as an important aspect of our ongoing cancer care, in particular for men with testicular cancer. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Brannigan. I'd like to introduce our final speaker, Dr. John Mulhall, Professor of Urology, Director of the Sexual and Reproductive Medicine Program at Memorial Sloan Kettering, and he'll be discussing testosterone deficiency and sexual dysfunction. My name is John Mulhall from New York City, and it's my pleasure to be here today. And my charge is to discuss uh, the role of testis cancer and its therapy in the development of low testosterone and sexual dysfunction. So the challenges in this literature is that there are heterogeneity of therapies for testis cancer. Uh, there are very few comparative studies, small patient numbers in those studies, uh, team measurement issues, and variability in the definition of low testosterone and testosterone deficiency. The pathophysiology of low T in this population, uh, rates of 12 to 40 percent uh, have low testosterone in the testis cancer population with and without treatment. This is related to, we believe, the testis dysgenesis syndrome, as promoted by Dr. Skakabak in Denmark, the role of orchiectomy, chemotherapy, and then abdominal radiation with internal scatter. If you look at testosterone levels in men pre-orchiectomy, this study looked at 62 patients prior to orchiectomy, 120 patients after. And if you look at the testosterone cutoff of less than 231 nanograms per deciliter, 5% pre-orchiectomy and 16% one month after surgery. However, if you include those patients with testosterone levels between 230 and 231 and 346, you'll see those numbers balloon to 22% um, low, and then one month later, uh, that is 43%. 
Testis cancer chemotherapy, of course, plays a huge role, as Dr. Stevenson has talked about, and the heterogeneity in the agents that are used. All of these regimens contain agents that are toxic to testicular function. Leomycin is relatively low risk. Etoposides, cisplatin, and carboplatin are medium risk. And then nifosamide as an alkylating agent is a high risk agent. And the radiation dose used in seminome is variable, and the amount that goes to the testis is quite small in the centigrade ranges, ranging between 2 and 30, depending on whether gonadal shielding is used or not. And these are generally believed to be doses lower than are required to cause germ cell or latex cell damage. If you look at this very nice systematic review of 12 studies, 11 studies looking at the risk of uh, low testosterone in testis cancer patients treated with scan standard therapy, odds ratio of 1.8, uh, low T compared to orchiectomy patients, not compared to the general population. Seven studies looking at those patients with non-conventional chemotherapy, high-risk disease, with an odds ratio of 3.1, and then looking at radiation effects, an odds ratio of 1.6. So there's clearly an association between chemotherapy and radiation therapy in the testis cancer population and low testosterone. It is ideal to get a preorchiectomy testosterone lab if you have time, uh, especially with an LH if possible. If not done, then it will be worthwhile doing a, a testosterone blood test before uh, chemotherapy started and after orchiectomy. Comprehensive patient counseling for the impact of therapy on testosterone production. Define interest in future reproduction, review sperm bank records and oncotesi results uh, prior to giving any exogenous testosterone. And if possible, avoid exogenous testosterone because of its link to impairment of spermatogenesis. Alternative therapies such as clomiphene, HCG, and aromidase inhibitors such as arimidex are fertility sparing. However, patients with normal E2 levels are unlikely to respond well to arimidex, and patients with very high LH levels are unlikely to respond to clomiphene or HCG. And so sometimes we are faced with giving patients exogenous testosterone, but before doing that, if the patient's interest in fertility, uh, bank sperm, and if that specimen is azospermic, consider TESI prior to giving exogenous testosterone therapy and document. From a sexual dysfunction standpoint, this meta-analysis looks at the risk of sexual dysfunction in this population, and you'll see reduced or absent orgasm with an odds ratio of 4.6, ED 2.47, and the ejaculatory dysfunction very high, most probably related to retroperitoneal lymph node dissection. The pathophysiology of ED in these patients includes very low testosterone levels, radiation scatter, and then very commonly, these men have adrenaline-mediated psychogenic ED. So testosterone is required for normal erectile physiology, peripherally and centrally. The level of T required for optimal erectile function is unclear, but it's probably quite low. Low T impairs PD-5 inhibitor response, and of course, no T definitely does that, as we know from the ADT population, uh, prostate cancer patients. And then T therapy in testosterone-deficient men who have ED results in meager erectile function improvement. If you look at the AUA guidelines, the mean improvement in EF domain score is a mediocre two points. Internal radiation scatter, the corpus cavernosum, similar exposure to that for the testes with very low doses, but very low doses are required for endothelial damage. So it's possible that uh, endothelial damage occurs with internal scatter from seminoma radiation. These patients often have psychogenic ED that's uh, characterized by intermittency of function, excellent nocturnal and masturbatory erections, and loss of sustaining ability. Fear of cancer and its recurrence, body image concerns, and emasculation are huge factors in this population. And of course, then the erosion of erectile confidence adds to the psychogenic ED. The management of ED in the testis cancer patient follows the same clinical care pathway as you would employ for any patient with erectile dysfunction. So in summary, sexual and endocrine changes after treatment for testis cancer are not uncommon. 
preorchiectomy T levels are ideal. Uh, and then follow testosterone levels after treatment. Uh, even if you're an oncologist, I think this is very important. Inquire about testosterone deficiency symptoms and sexual function after treatment. And where possible, avoid exogenous testosterone therapy or fertility of interest. And this is best managed by a reproductive urologist. Again, thank you very much. Thank you, Dr. Mohal. In summary, prior to definitive testis cancer management, patients should be counseled about the risks of hypogonadism and infertility. Patients should be offered sperm banking when appropriate prior to orchiectomy. Oncotessi is an option for patients with azoospermia and others who are unable to provide ejaculated sperm for cryopreservation. Reproductive outcomes are similar for sperm from patients with cancer versus sperm from unaffected men. Serum testosterone values should ideally be checked prior to orchiectomy and should be followed after orchiectomy. Men with a history of orchiectomy should be assessed for testosterone deficiency symptoms and sexual dysfunction. And finally, clinicians should avoid exogenous testosterone therapy in men who desire future fertility. I want to thank the outstanding speakers for doing such a great job in providing us insight on the oncologic fertility and sexual complications that patients with testis cancer may encounter. I also want to thank all of you once again for joining us. Thank you. 